Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the New Testament reading of Hebrews, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, last week we dug into Hebrews 11 a bit, and we were talking about faith. Faith, which is in the first verse of Hebrews 11, saying, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance, the guarantee of things hoped for, promised, and believing, trusting in them without seeing them, believing without seeing. And we saw examples in the first half of Hebrews 11 of what we would call some of the heroes of the faith, people who are specifically mentioned and commended for their faith. This week, we see the rest of those who find themselves in this sort of hall of faith. We hear of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, and then a bunch of things people underwent that allude to some others. As I was reading through these verses, there were two people that stood out to me for similar yet different reasons. They are Abraham and Jephthah. One we heard about a little bit last week, and we heard even more this week, Abraham. And maybe one you've never heard of, or if you have, maybe you've forgotten the story, Jephthah. Most of you are going to know Father Abraham, who was promised by God, even in his old age, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand along the seashore. And from Abraham, his descendants would come you and me, each and every one of us. And that's why he's known as Father Abraham, because he had many sons. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right? Come on, yeah. All right. Abraham believed God. He believed that God could do it, even in his old age, even though he had already had a son with his wife's maidservant, his wife Sarah, her maidservant, because God had been taking too long to fulfill his promise. Even though Father Abraham believed God, he still sinned. He was still a sinner. And because of original sin that comes from our original father, Adam, in the garden, sin has been passed down to each and every one of us. I'm probably certain that there's a song that we could make up about sinner Abraham having many sons who are sinners. And I am one of them, and so are you, and we all deserve death. Maybe not as catchy. More on that later. Eventually, God fulfills his promise to Abraham, and Sarah bears a son, Isaac. And then one day, God says to Abraham, go sacrifice your son, this only son of your wife, Sarah, as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I am going to show you. 
Just like God's first act with Abraham was to lead him to the promised land for his descendants, he is leading Abraham now to a place where he is being called to sacrifice his son, through whom which all of those descendants are supposed to come. This was a test of Abraham's faith. He had waited so many years for this promise to be fulfilled, and then God tells him to kill the promise, to kill his son, his very own son. It's hard to imagine being in that position and what we might actually do. But Abraham goes as far as he possibly could go until God intercedes. And he stops his hand from bringing the knife down upon his son Isaac. Abraham did not withhold his son from God. And God then provided a ram to replace Isaac as a sacrifice that God had asked for. Abraham trusted God. And Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God could raise the dead. And so he was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he thought that God could bring him back to life again. And Abraham did, figuratively speaking, receive Isaac back from the dead because the ram took Isaac's place. God still tests people today. He tests all of us and our faith. And maybe his tests aren't as clear as, go sacrifice your child, but maybe God allows temptation to come our way to test our faith in order to strengthen it. Yet, how often do we fail those tests when they come our way? Maybe it's not sacrifice your child as a burnt offering, but maybe God says, sacrifice the pleasures of this life so that you can come and worship me with God's people and present your offerings to me. This is what we're all faced with every time we have an opportunity to come and worship. Sunday mornings, Wednesday evenings. Forgo the comfort of sleeping in. Take the day off work. Don't give in to the God of sports. Cast aside all of the things that get in the way and come to me, says God. And we're faced with plenty of temptations outside of worship as well. We're called to lead a God-pleasing life, to throw off the sin that so easily clings to us. How many times do we fail at that? not throwing off that sin. We heard from Colossians a couple weeks ago that we're supposed to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, idolatry, first commandment stuff, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, lies. All of the sins you once walked in or you're currently walking and put to death. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming. The consequences for your sins demand payment. And the wages for your sin 
is death. What we all deserve for our evil desires and sexual immorality and anger and slander and lies, for all of the times that we decide to live our lives the way we want, selfishly serving only ourselves and going against what God commands, what we deserve is death. Physical death, yes. We will all one day die on this earth unless Christ returns first. We also deserve eternal death. God's wrath and judgment being poured out on us and receiving what our sins deserve. Hell. And God would be just and right in giving us exactly that. Because we have all sinned against God time and time and time again. We have failed to live up to his standard. We have put many other idols before him, and we have failed many, many tests of faith. And sometimes our faith has even been found missing, as we have walked away from God completely. God does not walk away from us, though. He never leaves us. And when the time comes for the wrath of God to be poured out on us, God intercedes. Just like when God interceded as Abraham's knife is coming down upon Isaac. And then the ram took his place as the sacrifice. God intercedes and has another take our place as our sacrifice. Not a ram, but the lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the world, to come and have the wrath of God poured out on him, not us. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, the torture, the beatings, the mockings, the shameful death of crucifixion, Jesus willingly, gladly, did it for us so that we would receive the forgiveness of our sins, so that we would not suffer death, but that we would have eternal life. God intercedes on our behalf for our good, and in doing so, God did not withhold his very own son. God doesn't always intercede, though. And this brings us to the story of Jephthah. How many of you know it? Great. You're going to hear a little bit of it. Found in the book of Judges, Jephthah is a man chosen to lead the people of Israel over the Ammonites. Jephthah was a mighty warrior, but he was an outcast because he was the son of a prostitute. But one day, the people from the land where he was from the land that he had been driven out of, came and asked him to be their leader. He was hesitant because these were the same people that had rejected him. But ultimately, he accepted and was made their commander. God was with Jephthah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him as he made his way toward the Ammonites. And as he was going, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, 
Then whatever comes out from the doors of my house, house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. The Lord gave Jephthah victory that day. It's like one sentence, so it doesn't seem like it was a very hard-fought victory. Probably pretty easy. And as Jephthah makes his way home, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Can you imagine? Here you are on this high of victory. You've been restored by the people who have disowned you. And the first thing that you see as you return home is your only child coming out of your house to meet you. And now all that matters is this vow that you've made. Now, we don't know Jephthah's reasoning for making this vow to the Lord. Plenty of people have made vows during this time in history. And maybe Jephthah was taking a calculated risk. Maybe he was kind of throwing his words out recklessly. Maybe he was hoping for additional assurance from God. Who knows? But it's a vow he now regrets. He tears his clothes in great sorrow because he knew that he had made a vow to the Lord that he could not break. In fact, it's a law. It's a law written in the book of Moses. It says in Numbers, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. His only daughter went away for a couple of months and grieved. And when she returned, Jephthah did to her as he had vowed. Jephthah offered up his daughter as a burnt offering. And God did not intercede. He did not stop the sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter. And it was Jephthah's vow to God, so Jephthah couldn't stop it. A stupid, stupid vow that he couldn't take back and he couldn't break. Why didn't God stop it? We don't know. We can compare this to the story of Abraham and Isaac and say, God, what gives? How could you let this innocent girl be sacrificed when you stopped the sacrifice of Isaac? Well, God stopped the sacrifice of Isaac because God had to. Because God had promised that from Isaac, through Abraham, would be all of the descendants that were to come. And God replaced the ram for Isaac as a sacrifice. We don't know why God didn't replace Jephthah's daughter or save her in some other way. We don't always understand God's ways. Why he does or doesn't allow things to happen. Why he does or doesn't stop things from happening. We don't always know the why of why God does things. Or doesn't do certain things. Especially when it comes to all of the things that happen in our lives. 
Why did God allow my child to die? Inside the womb or outside the womb? Why did God allow my spouse to die? Why did God allow me to get cancer or ALS or Parkinson's or some other incurable disease or inoperable thing? Why did God allow my parents' divorce when he knew all of the terrible things that would result from it? Why did God allow me to get made fun of or bullied for so much of my life? Why did God allow me to be sexually abused as a child? Why did God allow me to lose my job and then end up on the streets because I have nowhere to go? Why, why, why? We don't always know. Here is what we do know. The reason that bad things happen in this world is because of sin. The effects of sin are felt on all people and places everywhere. And sometimes that is as simple and as accurate as we can be. Sin is the cause. Here is what we know that God does. He created you. He loves you. He cares for you. He is always with you. This earth is not your home. God has prepared a place for you in heaven. Whatever you go through in this life on this earth, no matter how bad it is, is only temporary. What matters the most and the things that are sometimes hard for us to focus on through all of this earthly stuff are the things that are eternal. Yes, sin condemns you to eternal death, hell. But God has stopped your condemnation with his own sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice who takes our place. Just like God provided the ram to replace Isaac, God provided Jesus to replace us so that we would not suffer eternal death. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, he has opened the door to eternal life for all who believe. He has sent his Holy Spirit so that we can lead a God-pleasing life to bring us to repentance where we can receive God's forgiveness so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus and that ultimately... He will bring us to be with him to our home in heaven by faith. Faith that has been given to us as a gift where we will join with all of those who have gone before us in the faith like Abraham and Jephthah where we will meet Jesus face to face and our faith will become sight. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.